Tonight, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men and women who are in this room who have a great deal of interest in prophecy and what's happening in Israel and the Middle East today. I pray, Father, that you would open our minds and hearts to understand Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 37, chapter 38, and chapter 39. Lord, we need your help. I know that the Holy Spirit uh, can help us to understand and apply what we learn tonight. I pray that you'd fill me with the Spirit of God that you would teach through me tonight. And I pray you'd be honored and glorified in all we say and all we do. Lord, we want to say that we love you. And we thank you that even though the world seems to be going haywire, that you are sovereign over everything that happens. Lord, you created this world, and Lord, you are sovereign over every nation, over every leader, over every group of people that exist on this planet. And I just pray, Lord, that you would cause it all to work out for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, James, can you give me a, a little bit more monitor up here, please? All right. Now, last week we didn't get through. So I want us to look back at chapter 36 for just a moment. And I want us to look at verses 33 to 38 briefly, okay? Verse 33 says, Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquity. Now remember, one of the things that chapter 36 makes clear is the new covenant. What God would promise to do in the new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus. He said, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquity. Aren't you glad that under the new covenant, when you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus... He cleanses you from all your sins, all your iniquities. Aren't you glad for that word all? That word all is a wonderful word. And then he said, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and waste places will be rebuilt. Now remember, any time in prophecy, there is a, an immediate fulfillment and then there is a, a delayed fulfillment in the future. And obviously this applies in this, this uh, prophecy right here. Notice verse 34, the desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. Remember Mark Twain visited Israel when it was, he, he described it as being absolutely desolate, absolute des desolation. And, and when Israel went back in the land in 1948, God began to do a remarkable supernatural work in the land and gave them agricultural abundance. And the land just began to flourish. He goes on to say here, they will say this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. It, look, if you've been to Israel, you know 
that there is beautiful, beautiful farms, beautiful, beautiful crops being raised, fruit. It is an amazing place. And then verse 36, then the nations that are left around about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. See, God wants the glory. God deserves the glory for everything that happens. And then the Bible says in verse 37, thus says the Lord God, this also I will let uh, the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock. God promises, look, I'm going to increase the men in Israel. Verse 38, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Look at this. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Both Israel will know that God is God and the nations around will know that God is God. There's only one God. Now I've told you, I believe I'm correct, that little phrase, then they will know that I'm the Lord, appears about 84 times in the book of Ezekiel. 84 times. You see, it's God's will that the nation of Israel and the nations of the world know that God is God. There, 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 there are not multiple gods in the world today. There's only one God. There's a lot of false gods. There's a lot of idols, but there is only one true God. And the Bible is clear about that from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Now, as we move into chapter 37, I want you to notice that it's a, it's a totally different picture that's presented. In fact, we're introduced to a graveyard, a graveyard. I heard about a a man who visited a cemetery to leave flowers at the grave of his dearly departed mother. He couldn't help but notice a man over to the side who was weeping uncontrollably. And he went over to him after he spent time at his mom's grave and took care of that. He said, sir, sir, what's going on in your life? And all he heard this man crying out is, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? And he said, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry for your loss. It must be very difficult for you. And after a few clumsy moments of silence, he asked, are you mourning the loss of your wife? The man teary-eyed looked up and said, no, I'm mourning the loss of my wife's first husband. Now, some of you will take a while to catch that. You know, interesting things can happen at cemeteries. My, 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 it was either my first or second funeral at First Baptist Richland. And it had been raining all day. Went to the grave, graveyard, and we are doing the committal service, and we finished everything. Of course, there's the tent, and there's the, the casket, and I, I, I reached to get my umbrella, 
And I was, I was going to walk over and shake the hands of the family as I normally do. And, and I stepped, and, and I promise you, I stepped that far away from that casket. And I'm telling you, my left leg hit nothing, and, and I went down in the grave with my left leg. My right leg was still up on the ground. And I'm telling you, I put one hand on the casket, one hand on the ground. I came up out of there like Superman, I promise you. I was cut. My left leg was covered in mud. And, and, and I went to the funeral home director. I said, can you explain to me what just happened? He said, well, pastor, we dug the hole bigger than what we should have. And we always cover the whole thing with AstroTurf. And, and so I, I say, help me to understand. So you covered a hole <laughs> that's six feet deep with AstroTurf. And he said, that's what we did. I said, man, if that had been a senior adult with a broken hip, you would have been sued. I promise <laughs> you. And then the family said, the family said, a pastor, do you want to have lunch with us? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and this is God's truth. Went back, went to the house, changed clothes, and we had a staff meeting, and we went to eat lunch together as a staff. And um, we were at Cracker Barrel there in Pearl. And <laughs> somebody said amen to Cracker Barrel. And so we're in line to pay, and I promise you, this is no lie. There are two guys in front of me, and one turned, they had no clue who I was. One turned to the other and said, man, I just saw the strangest thing today. <laughs> I saw a pastor fall in the grave. <laughs> and my minister of music tapped him on the shoulder and said, yeah, this is him. Now, the last part of this story, this is even funnier. They practice, the choir practice on Sunday night after the service. So I preached, went back to the back, shook hands with everybody, and, and, and I, I walked back in to get my Bible. The choir was practicing. And about the time I got to the pulpit and picked up my Bible, the choir broke, up, broke out and up from the grave he arose. <laughs> Strange things take place in cemeteries, okay? And I believe if Ezekiel were here tonight, he would amen what I just said about strange things taking place in cemeteries. Now, I want you to remember that Ezekiel was a priest. He ministered to the covenant people of Judah who were exiled into Babylon. And it was a hard ministry he had. If you, if you got time, sometime you ought to go back to the first two or three chapters of Ezekiel and just read about the call that God placed on Ezekiel's life. It was a difficult assignment. And he was there and, and God is about to give him a vision. 
And that vision is going to include what we might term a cemetery, okay? Now, as we think about this, I want you to remember that there are a lot of people today who are debating whether there's a future for Israel. Is God through with Israel? It's called replacement theology. And there's a lot of people who believe, especially a lot of younger people who believe that God is absolutely through with Israel and God is now focusing on the church. And I, I can tell you that is not true. That is not true at all. In, in fact, uh, if, if you were to just take a few moments in your Bible and, and look that Jesus taught that the Jews have a future. The nation of Israel has a future. Luke chapter 22, verse 29 to 30. Just write that down. Write that scripture down. And Paul taught that the, the nation of Israel has a future. Romans chapter 11. And so did John in Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 to 8, and chapter 14, 1 through 5. Those are just some small, a few examples of the fact that God is not through with Israel. Okay? I want you to understand that. That sort of makes what's happening in Israel today that much more meaningful. And it's important that we understand it in a biblical context. Ezekiel 37 can be divided into two sections by the introductory phrases. You, you can see it in verse 1. Look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. The word of the Lord came again to me. Now that, those two statements divide the chapter 37 of Ezekiel into two parts. And we're going to look at the first part tonight, the valley of dry bones, okay? This chapter, chapter 37, illustrates Israel's failed past, their frustrated present, present, and their future hope. So, Let's look at an unusual vision that Ezekiel the prophet is given by God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 3. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the, the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and though they were very, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel was a smart prophet. He said, O Lord God, you know. You see, there's sometimes in our lives as believers that, that we have to realize that we don't have the answers to the mysteries of God. And it's perfectly okay to say you don't know. 
I've learned that over the years. There was a time early in my ministry I thought I had to have the answer to everything. But I am perfectly free to say, you know, I just don't know. But let me research it and let me see if I can get back with you and give you the answer you're looking for. I think that's a very healthy way to approach it. And I love what Ezekiel said here. Lord, Lord, you know. You, you know what Ezekiel was saying when he said that? He said, Lord, I don't know. But I know that you know. So I, I want you to notice where it says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. Now, Ezekiel's prophetic experience is not specifically called a vision. But I'll tell you, it has all the markings of a vision. Notice how the scripture emphasizes that he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. And notice, in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. This was Death Valley, you might say. The floor of the valley was covered with human bones. And the people represented by these bones were Jews. And they were not only dead, but they were also disgraced. You see, in, in Israel, it was an absolute disgrace to allow somebody to die and the body not be taken care of with a proper burial. It, it's interesting you get over into the book of Revelation and, and the uh, uh, prophetic things that are going to take place in the, the end times. And there's going to be a, a massive number of people who are killed under the judgment of God who come against Israel in the last days. And I believe, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, that the Bible says it will take Israel seven years to take care of all those dead bodies, even though they're enemies. Israel had to take care of those dead bodies. You know, when you compare what Hamas has done there in Israel with what the Bible teaches right here about the proper burial of corpses, I'm telling you, it, it is night and day different. Some of the things that Hamas did to, to the Jews that they killed and tortured were absolutely demonic. Absolutely demonic. There's no other way to describe it. I'm not going to go in detail, but I, it seems like every day I hear another story of another demonic act by Hamas that was perpetrated on Jewish people. And, and sometimes I think I've reached the bottom and it can't get any worse. And then I hear something like I heard today and I'm not going to repeat it. But I'm telling you, it, it floored me. It absolutely floored me. I, I, I didn't know that people could be that evil, that evil. It was Death Valley. Their disgrace, their bones are lying on top of the ground. They're not in graves. The bones are lying on top of the ground. 
and they were very dry. That means they were not only dead, but they'd been dead for a long time. The scavenger birds had come and picked them clean. The sun had bleached the bones. It was a picture, listen, it was a picture of utter defeat and desolation for the Jewish people. What a vivid description. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can a dead and impotent nation in exile under the control of a godless nation be resurrected and become a living, thriving kingdom once again? Now remember, this does have uh, an application of the Jewish people who were living in Babylonian exile. But you remember what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied. He said, you will be in exile for a definitive amount of time, 70 years, 70 years. And at the end of the 70 years, a lot of the Jewish people began to repatriate back into Israel. Can these bones live? One might hope that a, a recently dead corpse might somehow be resuscitated. But no one in their right mind would assume or even hope that detached, bleached bones picked clean by scavenger birds would ever be resuscitated, would ever be revived. And no wonder Ezekiel said, oh, Lord God, you know, you know. Listen, God knows exactly what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's going to do with the nation of Israel. I'm going to tell you, God is not through with Israel. He's not through with Israel. Man, if you just read the book of Revelation and look at all of the Jewish references in the book of Revelation, it will absolutely blow your mind. There's a new what? It's not a new new, new York City coming down out of heaven, is it? it? It's not a new Rome coming down out of heaven, right? It's a new what? Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Think about the 144,000 that are prophesied there in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. Who are those 144,000? I can tell you, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not. They're Jews. 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel will be handpicked by God in the tribulation period and they will spread the gospel all over the world. They will be evangelists. It's right there in the book of Revelation. God is not through with Israel. Now look, let's look at verses 4 to 6. 
again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones. The word prophesy means to preach. Preach to these bones. Now, if you're Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, and God has placed you in this vision in a valley full of bleached, dry bones, and then God tells you to preach to the bones. Don't you think that would feel a little awkward? I mean, there's no lie. Nobody can say amen. Nobody can say uh-huh. It's silence. Pure, unadulterated silence. And God says, prophesy over these bones. And then God tells them what to preach. It's interesting that God does not allow Ezekiel to make up his own message. But by the way, good preaching today means that you never make up your own message. You go to the Word of God and you preach the Word of God. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. And here's what he was to preach. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life and I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you and cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Prophesy to these bones. Hear the word of the Lord, O dry bones. Now, for Ezekiel to stand in that valley full of dry, bleached bones and to begin to preach over those bones required a great deal of faith. The Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you know that you and I are called to walk by faith? We're to believe God for the impossible. By the way, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I mean, you go back and you start in the book of Genesis and you look at the impossible things that our Lord has done. This week in my quiet time, I, I read about Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, Jesus told them when they got in the boat, we're going to the other side. And they got in the boat. They started across the Sea of Galilee. Now, understand that the Sea of Galilee is like a big lake. I don't want you to think about the Gulf of Mexico or the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. That's not the way it is. It's a, it's a, a small body of water compared with those. And, and so they started across the Sea of Galilee. It's night. And, and a ferocious storm comes up. And the wind is whipping and, and the waves are white capping and, and the waves began to lap over into the boat. And, and I can just see Peter, James, and John and the disciples with, with maybe a, a, a little bucket and they're trying to get the water out of the boat and, and they're losing ground. They, they feel like they're going to drown. And one of them has the nerve to wake Jesus up. 
You know what they said? Lord, do you not care that we're about to drown? And, and Jesus, oh man, I wish, I, I wish we had a video of this. And Jesus raised up and he said, hush, be still. And the Bible says this. The Bible says immediately the wind stopped. Immediately the white cap waves became like a sea of glass. And you know what Jesus asked the disciples? He said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And I got to thinking about that. Why would Jesus ask them where their faith is? And look at this. Think about this. Jesus said when they got in the boat, we're going to the other side. Now, friend, if Jesus tells you you're going to the other side, you're going to get there. I mean, if you really believe his word, you're going to get there. But the disciples allowed their circumstances to cloud their spiritual life and to diminish their faith. The same thing can happen in our lives. We go through a difficult time. The circumstances get tough. We read about what the, God, what the Lord has promised us in the Word, and yet the circumstances cloud our spiritual vision. We begin to allow our circumstances to have lordship over what we think and how we act. And we can't do that. I'll tell you, Ezekiel was a man of faith. I can just see him there in that valley of dry bones. And he begins, begins to preach the word of God to those dry bones. Look at verse Five, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive. God promised to the Jewish people that even though they were in desolation, even though they were in danger of being snuffed out as a nation, that he would never allow them to be snuffed out as a nation. You need to understand that. I don't care what happens in the world. I, I don't care how many people march in the cities of New York City and cry out from the river to the sea, free Palestine. You know what, that, you know what they're saying? Exterminate every Jew. It's the same concept that Hitler employed in Nazi Germany. Destroy the Jews. I've got a book in my library entitled The Future by John Phillips. And in that book, I meant to bring it today, tonight, but I don't have time. I may do it some other time. But he catalogs all the times in the nation of Israel's history where they were threatened with extinction, where thousands and thousands and millions of Jews were killed without reason, all because of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is growing like crazy in our world today. 
for the life of me, I do not understand how these college students on their college campuses can cry out for the extermination of Jews and support Hamas. I don't understand it. I do not understand it. But I'm telling you, anytime you hear somebody chanting from the river, that, that's the Jordan River, by the way, to the sea, that's the Mediter Mediterranean Sea, that's the land of Israel, free Palestine. They're crying out for the extermination of the Jews. Don't kid yourself. Now, I want you to notice that the word for breath, you, you, you see it right here. Um, I will cause breath to enter you. The word for breath is ruach in, the, in, in the, the Hebrew. And it literally means wind or spirit. Wind or spirit. It's a promise that God would one day give the Holy Spirit to his covenant people under the blessings of the new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28, we saw this the other day. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Do you realize, do you realize in this short time that we've been together and we've been studying Ezekiel chapter 36, now we're in chapter 37, the number of times that God mentions the restoration of the Jewish nation to the land is mentioned over and over again. Over and over again. Now, I told you, anytime God repeats something in Scripture, He repeats it for emphasis' sake. Remember, I tell you, it's like he put, He's putting a spotlight on it. A spotlight. He's saying, this is important. Listen. Pay attention. And then He says, in verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, look at this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I'll be your God. The nation of Israel is the chosen people of God. Nothing will ever change that, okay? The Bible emphasizes that even though we are faithless, God remains faithful. God keeps his covenants. He never breaks a covenant. I praise God that he'll never break the old covenant because if he did, I would be concerned about breaking the new covenant, right? I'm so glad that God's going to keep his promise to Israel. God has a purpose and plan for Israel in the future. When I read this, I thought of Acts, the book of Acts. Take your Bible. Flip over to Acts chapter 2 just a moment. Now, look at what we just read. Acts chapter 2. What does Ruach mean? Wind or spirit? Wind or spirit, okay? Look at chapter 2 of, of Acts. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, 
They were all together in one place. Who was all together in one place, by the way? Do you realize that, that the, the, the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost was initially totally a, a, a Jewish church? It was a Jewish church. So you've got the, the apostles and all those who have believed in the Lord among the Jewish people. They're all together in one place. They've been praying. They've been waiting on the Lord as he told them to wait. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing what? Wind. What does ruach mean? Wind or spirit. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. Look at this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What did God promise in the new covenant in Ezekiel chapter 36? That they would receive the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you, he said. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I'll tell you, there's an uncanny fulfillment here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 on the day of Pentecost. And we could go on and read the rest of the chapter uh, of chapter 2 of Acts. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely supernatural what occurred on the day of Pentecost. For the first time, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt believers. You realize in the Old, Old, Old Testament days that the Holy Spirit did not indwell even David or, or, or Ezekiel or, or Isaiah or, or, or Micah or any of the prophets or the great men of God, Gideon. He, he did, the Holy Spirit did not indwell them. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them for special purposes. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell them. That did not occur until the day of Pentecost. And now after the day of Pentecost, when a person received Jesus as Savior and Lord, whether they're Jew or Gentile, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within them, empowers them, and conforms them to the image of Jesus. Aren't you glad that we're not called to live the Christian life in our power? But we have the power, the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us be the men and women that God has called us to be. Now, let's look at this next section here, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 7 and 8. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Sometimes you may not understand what God has called you to do. He may call you to do a very difficult thing, a thing that will make others around you think you've lost your mind. But notice, so I prophesied as I was commanded. There's a verse in uh, Romans chapter 14, I think it's verse 9. It, it says, uh, for to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's Lord. 
You know what the word Lord means? It means master. It means boss. It means that whatever he tells you to do, whatever he leads you to do through the word, you do not have a right of refusal. You have a responsibility to do exactly what he wants you to do. And that's exactly what Ezekiel did, even though it, it, he might have looked, thought, man, I'm going to look absolutely crazy out here doing this. But you know, he did as he was commanded. And the Bible goes on to say, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, look at this. I love this. There was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. Can you, can you imagine that? And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and, sin cov and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. The breath of life was not there. You know what's interesting is that all these bones came together bone to its bone. It's not like uh, Ralph's thigh bone was attached to, to Sarah's, um, uh, um, this one right here, tibia, <laughs> tibia, okay? It's, that didn't happen. It was bone to its bone. So the skeletons were put together exactly the way God created them. So there's a stirring of the bones, assembly of the bones, sinews and flesh upon the bones, skin upon tissues covering the bones, and they were awaiting the breath of God. So here they are, the, the, the skeletons. These skeletons are, are there. They're all together. They've got skin on them, sinews on them, but they're not alive. There's no breath. Look at the, the second prophecy here in verses 9 and 10. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. What's the breath? Wind or spirit, right? Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You say, Pastor, be honest with us. Do you really believe this happened? Absolutely. I have no doubt. In fact, I wonder if the Apostle Paul had not been studying Ezekiel 37 when he wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 just a minute. I want you to see the connection here. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we, 
we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You realize that, that the person who is not a believer, the person who has rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord, they are spiritually dead. They are as dead as, as these bones that are lying bleached out there in this valley that's full of bones. But notice verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Ephesians chapter 2 teaches that we were dead. Before you were saved, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. And God brought you alive in Christ Jesus. He made you alive in Christ Jesus. And just look how that compares to what happened here in Ezekiel 37. Prophesy to the breath. Preach to the breath, he said. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Spurgeon made this comment. He said, first, the prophet prophesies to the bones. Here is preaching, and next he prophesies to the four winds. Here is praying. The preaching has its share in the work, but it is the praying which achieves the result. For after he had prophesied to the four winds, and not before, the bones began to live. Think about that, an exceedingly great army. The, 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 the bones, God, God did not revive and restore the nation of Israel for them to be spectators. He revived them and restored them so that they would have an intricate part to play in the kingdom of God in the future. So how do these bones live? Derek Thomas said that God used three means to accomplish his purpose. The preaching of the word, the prayer of God's servant, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Great word. By the way, that's a good formula for today. You understand that? That's a great formula for today. If you want to have a church that's alive, a church where God is working, there's got to be the preaching of the word, not entertainment. We're not here to entertain anybody. You know the thing about entertainment? If you start going down that road as a church, then you've got to constantly come up with a new form of entertainment because people get tired of the old entertainment. But if you stick with the stuff, if, if a church decides, hey, we want to be a Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church, that church is going to have life to it. 
and the prayer of God's servant and the power of the Spirit of God. Look, people may read this vision and they say, well, I I don't understand that. Boy, I, I love the way sometimes you read Scripture and you say, I just don't get it. And then if you, if you just read a little bit further down, God explains what he just said. And that's exactly what happens here in verses 11 to 14. God interprets this vision for Ezekiel, for the people in exile there in Babylon, for us. He, he interprets the vision. Look at it. Verse 37 Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Now, I've got to be honest with you. When Ezekiel heard that it's the whole house of Israel, it must have caused his ears to perk up. Because you see, under Rehoboam, after Solomon had died and Rehoboam became king, the nation of Israel, was split. they had a civil war. And they had Israel in the north under Jeroboam and they had Judah in the south under Rehoboam. And here, maybe, what is this, 150 years later, God says, look, I want you to know the day is coming when the whole house of Israel will come to life. They'll come to life. And Ezekiel must have thought, do do you mean Israel too? The northern kingdom too? Now, next week, we're going to go over the rest of the chapter, beginning verse 15 to the rest of the chapter, and you'll notice that it gets very specific about God's intention to bring the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah together and to reunite them in the future. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Look look at verse 11. Verse 11 gives us a picture of exactly the way the Jews must have felt in the days of Ezekiel and the way many Jews must feel today. Look at it. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, who who says? The whole house of Israel says, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Can you imagine what it's like to be a Jew in New York City when pro-Hamas demonstrators are marching in Manhattan, crying out to the top of their lungs, from the river to the sea, free Palestine. Can you imagine? This is the way many Jews must feel today. Can you imagine what the Jews were feeling in the days of Hitler? When he would take whole groups of them into the 
into rooms and they would turn the gas jets on and kill all of them. I, look, if you've been to Israel and if you've been to the Holocaust Museum there in Israel, it will take your breath away to see those pictures, to see those artifacts, to see what a meager existence they had. The Jews there under Nazi persecution must have felt this way, as it says here in verse 11. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. Now, he's saying, look, he used a different picture here, right? The bones are not lying out on top of the ground. Now he talks about the graves. I will cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you where? Look at it. It, over and over and over again. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. May the 14th, 1948. Israel became a nation. I, I, I included an appendix back here in the back of your notes. 15 facts about Palestine. I would encourage you to, to look over this. I can tell you that there are a lot of myths being perpetrated by the left in our country today. A lot of myths. Do you realize that there has never been a nation of Palestine ever in human history? Never has been. Never. Do you know where the name Palestine came from? The Romans gave that name to the land of Israel and they did it to poke a finger in the eyes of the Jews because the, the, the term Palestine co comes as a root from Philistines, the mortal enemies of the Jewish people during David and Saul's day. So just, hey, look, I don't have time to go over all of this but I want you to, to have this appendix. I want you to know, know these facts. Look at them. All right? Look at verse uh, 13 again. Then you, then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. God said, I'm going to restore the nation of Israel. He did restore the nation of Israel in Ezekiel's day. Now, th there was not a reuniting at that time of the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. That would come into in the future. In verse 14, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. How many times does he say that here? In the first 14 verses, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your land. How many times does he say that? Let me tell you, the nation of Israel are not occupiers. They're not. They're not occupiers. That's their land. God gave it to them. You go back to, to, to uh, Genesis chapter 15, and there is a promise from God that God would give that land to Abraham and his descendants. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. In verses 11 to 14, there are three promises from God. He will restore them to the land. He will reverse their spiritual death with, with life, and he will put the Holy Spirit himself within them. So I, I hope and pray that, that, that you are uh, understanding some of this. I hope and pray that you will take your notes and you will look over them. I hope and pray that you will really dig into this appendix and I will constantly be trying to feed you new information so that you're up to date on what's going on with Israel prophecy and the Middle East.